Welcome to Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris, where we talk about relevant issues as it relates to individuals in grief as they navigate finances and the advisors who help them. We help clients in grief navigate financial matters. We also teach advisors how to emotionally and financially work with clients in grief through an unparalleled process. This week's episode is sponsored by Life After Grief Financial Planning and Life After Grief Consulting. Hello and welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris. I have a pretty unique episode for you today. It is a result of me having had some experience and some dialogue with a few folks that have had a loved one become incarcerated. So the topic of today's episode is grief and incarceration. So, like I said, I recently came into contact with someone who needed some financial help, uh, financial planning, specifically regarding a family member that was incarcerated. And specifically, this was a husband and wife situation. And really imagine if your spouse was suddenly incarcerated, whether it was no fault of their own or whether it was their fault. It's a dramatic situation. Would you have any idea what to do? And so I thought this was a really unique subset of grief, and I just really wanted to chat about it on today's podcast. What are immediate financial steps when someone is incarcerated? Well, that's a pretty difficult one. However, if you know ahead of time, I would recommend getting a power of attorney. And a power of attorney is a legal document, basically, and I'm just going to explain this. It's a legal document where I can make financial decisions on behalf of someone else. And it's very important to know that a power of attorney ceases or it stops at death. And I'm going to give you an example of something that I used as a power of attorney in regards to my mother. Talked about my mother a lot over other podcasts. So when I had an inclination well before my mom became very, very ill, And she was agreeable that I would become her power of attorney. And so in that regard, her power of attorney, I was allowed to um, negotiate anything on her bank account on her behalf, any of her debts. She had a safety deposit box. I was able to do that. I was able to transfer ownership of anything that she had, whether it was a car or anything like that. And so I was able to make decisions as if I were her. And again, it was in her best interest. And with the power of attorney, I would be very specific in getting someone that you trust. Obviously, my mother trusted me and I had no other intentions other than what was in her best interest as well as my father's best interest. And it's also important to know and understand that the decisions that you make, as long as, and I'm going to clarify that as long as they are genuine, So if you make a decision to enter into, say, a credit card agreement um, on behalf, if, if I did that for my mother, I'm not responsible for the credit card or any of the debt that is accumulated on there. And so this would be a very similar situation, too, to if there was a husband and wife situation where, say, the husband was deployed overseas and the wife became power of attorney for her husband and was able to negotiate things. Very, very similar uh, situation there. Number two, credit cards and debt. And so in this situation, 
again, I'm going to lead back to that it would be very, very important that you have a power of attorney that could negotiate with any and all debtors and to possibly let them know that you may or are having trouble with your debts. And so in many instances, the credit card company, you know, will help you uh, work out an arrangement. The credit card company does not want you to be late and they want you to pay them ultimately. And if you can, you know, get ahead of that and let them know of the situation and, you know, tell them that you're going to have trouble or your spouse is going to have trouble or your close family member is going to have trouble making payments. They're going to appreciate that and they're going to be a lot more lenient in regards to either uh, coming after you or, you know, some of those things that come with not paying your debts and specifically your credit cards. And I'm going to take this uh, a step further. There is a free website. It's mandated by the federal government that allows every person with a social security number to obtain a free copy of their credit report. So their credit, three credit reports are TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. So through this site, you will be able to get a copy of each one of those reports. They're not necessarily going to give you the score, and I'm going to back up and say these credit reports are free, but they're not going to give you the score for free. You'll have to get that directly through the credit agency itself or through a third party. And so why is obtaining a copy of the credit report important? So I'll go back and let's say that uh, the wife becomes incarcerated in this you know, situation and the husband may not have any idea of all the obligations that the wife has. And more importantly, the husband may not know all of the obligations that are crossed, meaning I have a joint credit card with my wife and am I liable for that if it's not paid or are there charges or, you know, anything that's going on there. So it'd be very important to understand what's on the credit report and who is responsible for what in terms of the total debt and, you know, also, this could be a very frightening situation, you know, for the spouse not to have any idea of what's going on on their credit report. And all of a sudden, the spouse that, you know, pays all the bills is not there. So you're having to kind of fend on your own. It's very frightening, especially if the obligations are federal. And so if the obligations are federal, meaning if you have any obligations to the IRS, they could come back and garnish your wages uh, or they could come and garnish funds from your bank account. I can tell you I have seen that and you would not want that to happen. Just imagine that you had a few thousand dollars in your bank account to pay your bills and then all of a sudden the IRS comes and it, they take that money, you know, really with, I'm not going to say with um, no notice, but it, it comes and it's sudden. So understanding those things and getting ahead of some of those things are very, very important. A joint bank account. And I would recommend having a joint bank account for the purpose of receiving and paying obligations for the person, you know, whom you are helping. If you're especially if you're not um, a power of attorney. So, for instance, you have someone is incarcerated, a spouse specifically, and they are still receiving income for whatever it is. Let's say they have a retirement or something that they're getting income from. You would want to be in a situation to where 
you could receive that as the other person, the spouse, and then also redirect those funds to paying the obligations of the spouse. So I would be very careful in that situation to have a bank account that is limited in scope to paying the obligations of the um, spouse that uh, is incarcerated. Again, the worst thing that could happen is you're a joint account holder on your main account and you have something that is garnished out of that account without you knowing. So that's why I say limit it uh, to, you know, having it for the purpose of paying the bills of the spouse that's incarcerated. Protection from identity theft. So I've been the victim of identity theft. My wife has been the victim as well. And when you talk about identity theft, it was a full gamut. And I'll kind of go into that. Uh, I'll make some recommendations first, but I'll go into the dynamics uh, after that. I would recommend at the very least putting an alert on each one of your credit bureau files. An alert simply means anytime that someone tries to access your credit or um, do something or maybe get a credit card or get a cell phone or get a utility in their name, the company that is doing business with the individual, they are going to have to get some sort of a code or they're going to have to call the individual directly. And so for instance, if I try to get a credit card the company that I'm dealing with, they have to get a code from me very specifically, or they're not able to um, authorize, you know, credit in my name. I would probably lean if the spouse is incarcerated, I would probably lean towards doing a credit freeze. So a credit freeze means that you can't get any new credit in your name until you unfreeze the credit bureau um, for that individual. So that's a that's a steeper mound to kind of climb over. But if the individual is not going to be accessing credit, you know, you, you could do that to protect them um, for as long as they're incarcerated. So just wanted to explain the difference there. So I'm going to go into kind of detail in regards to what I went through in terms of having my identity stolen. Uh, so my wife and I, we had been getting some credit cards in our name that were sent to our our house it was first it was my wife and then second it was me and we thought it was just maybe a mix-up and then they kept coming and probably after the fourth or fifth one i you know i was like this seems a little bit odd so started calling the credit card companies and they they had actually closed some of them because they weren't able to verify the individual because they sent information out and they had to verify some information specifically with me or my wife. So they froze those. But one of the individuals actually opened a bank account and deposited money. And then the bank, you know, froze that after they caught wind that it was not legitimate. And once I found out about that, Obviously, someone had a copy of my driver's license information, my social security number, my address, my date of birth, and who knows what other information. So I had to go to great lengths and I had to figure out how to fix this situation. And basically, the bottom line, I'm going to put this, you know, in some of the notes, is the Federal Trade Commission has a good amount of information if you've been the victim of identity theft and kind of the steps to go through to kind of fix that. 
And again, that obviously you're going to have to notify the three credit bureaus. You're going to have to notify your banks or anybody that you, you know, do business with that way. So it's, it's a lot of legwork and it took a lot of time to get it fixed. Luckily, nothing was too detrimental that we weren't able to recover from. And we caught it fairly quickly, I would say. Preparing for your financial future once you get out of prison. So there's a question that has been commonly asked. Should you pay the debts of the person that is incarcerated or let them go into default? I'm going to say that this is more of a moral question. Generally, with regard to your credit, if you're incarcerated, you're probably not going to be using it. I am always someone that advocates paying your responsibilities. If you've charged it up, I think it's your obligation to pay for it. Again, but I pass no judgment. In my position, I am very objective, but I do recommend paying your obligations. I would also enlist an attorney to help with the specifics of that because that could be a very sticky situation. So say that your loved one is incarcerated for seven years and the obligation starts and you know how is that going to affect after a period of time generally the debtor is going to stop trying to contact you that does not mean that you're not responsible for the obligation um, but that's going to probably drop off after a period of time so i'm going to leave that up to the specifics of an attorney and also to get with your financial planner to speak to that in regards to the specifics of your individual situation. And again, I'm always an advocate of paying your debts. There are situations, especially if uh, income dramatically drops off where a spouse, you know, becomes incarcerated, where that may make it help or very hard to do. Counseling and other resources. So again, I've advocated anytime that I work with someone that is new in grief or has experienced a dramatic life situation, I always ask the question, do you have access to counseling? Have you been to a counselor or are you currently attending counseling? I find that that really helps the process. And so what I've done is I've compiled a list of resources. And again, this is outside of my kind of periphery until I encountered a few folks and I've had to negotiate some situations, you know, within my family dynamics as well. And so there is a website. It's specifically for, you know, women, but it can be applicable to men. And it's called connectnetwork.com and it's strong prison wife resources. But again, they're applicable to men as well. And I've looked through it and I think it's a very, very good array of resources for counseling because it's it is dramatic i can't even imagine having a spouse that you know goes to prison whether it's a day or you know whether it's a life sentence uh, I, I just i can't even fathom that so just wanted to provide some resources anytime i have some new experiences i like to share those you know with you and hopefully that they help without further ado Thank you for listening and please feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave me a review. I would love to have it. And I'd also love to have any questions for any upcoming podcast. Thanks for listening and please feel free to pass this podcast on to any friends or family members. Cheers. Be well. See you in the next episode.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you are a client and are looking to work directly with me, Chris, and or my firm, head on over to Life After Grief FP. That is Life After Grief FP. The FP is for financial planning.com. If you are an advisor looking to emotionally and financially work with your client in grief, or if you are a client looking to get your advisor's head in the game, head on over to lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. That is lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. Any information referenced in this week's podcast will be located here in the podcast section. And as always, please feel free to share this week's podcast with any friend, family member, or colleague. Thanks for listening. See you next week on the next episode.